Season 1, Episode 5, Verdigree, the reason why a lot of art looks faded today. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Art History by Lakshmi podcast. I'm your host Anu, or Lakshmi, whichever you prefer, and I'm glad you've stuck it out with me so far. If you're new here, I'm a professional artist and I have a passion for history, linguistics, politics, and art, and I like to talk about those subjects a lot, hence the podcast. A little shameless plug before we begin today, check out my paintings and prints at artlakshmi.com, that's artlakshmi.com, and if you have something to say about this podcast, if you would like to say something to me in general, or if you have suggestions or just about any observation, be sure to find me on Twitter at art underscore by underscore Lakshmi. A small announcement before we begin, I was out for a week and a half because I had a massive sinus infection. And that's when I realized I don't have a set day for a new podcast episode to be uploaded. So I decided that all new podcast episodes will be up every Tuesday. So yay for consistency! For today's episode, I wanted to look at the color green, but as with everything in art history, it's such a fucking complex story that I couldn't fit it all into one episode. So whenever I do colors from now on, I am not going to do the history of the color but I'm going to choose a specific pigment and follow its way through history. Which brings us to the topic of today's episode, verdigree. What the hell is that supposed to be, you may be wondering? Well, I am glad you're listening because I think it's a word we need to use more often in our conversations because it was one of the most popular green pigments throughout history. Verdigris is a beautiful bluish-green patina that forms on copper, bronze, and brass when exposed to the elements. You scrape off the patina, powder it down, and voila, you have verdigris. It's not the same as rust because, and I have been told this by people much smarter than me, that rust degrades the metal, but verdigris is an oxidation and it does nothing to the underlying metal. Throughout history, there have been many recipes for making verdigris, by the way, and I recommend doing none of them at home. But here's one that's very often quoted and I thought was really, really interesting. Pliny's recipes often referenced, and he recommends using copper and exposing it to the vapors of fermenting grapes. But before we go into the details of verdigris, let's just have a quick overview of the color green. Unless you're living in a desert away from any vegetation whatsoever for miles and miles around you, you'll encounter green somewhere or the other, if not everywhere. But the story of green is surprisingly anything but ordinary. It seems like I've started every podcast episode about a color saying that the color in question is difficult to make, and it's true for green as well. It is fucking difficult to make. If we go back to the Neolithic era, the cave paintings in that time do not have traces of green pigments, but Neolithic people in Northern Europe did make a green dye for clothing, which was made of birch leaves. It was very poor quality, more brown than green, and for a color that is everywhere, we don't see it very often. Green is fucking hard to make, like I said. We do see bright greens arrive in ancient Mesopotamia, where we have ceramic ware showing people wearing vivid green costumes. And maybe one day we'll figure out how they managed to make those bright green pigments, because to this day, it remains a mystery. People 
all over the ancient world tried to make a truly green pigment. In ancient Egypt, green was always a good thing. Green was a symbol of regeneration and rebirth, as well as a color that had the power to ward off evil. The gods Ta, with a silent P, and Osiris are shown with a green face, and this symbolizes their fertility and benevolence. If only the ancient Egyptians knew how fucking toxic some of the pigments they used to make green were, they might have associated with death rather than youth and growth. Initially, ancient Egyptians used malachite on the tomb walls to create green, but it was expensive and a really shitty investment because it turned black over time. Enter verdigris. Ancient Egyptians had a similar recipe as Pliny's to create the verdigris pigment, and they used it in their art as well. Since verdigris is a transparent bluish-green shade, ancient Egyptians often applied it over a ground of lead-white or lead-tin-yellow. You don't have to be a chemist to know that both lead-white and lead-tin-yellow sound fucking toxic, because they are fucking toxic. But just because there needs to be more death and destruction and suffering, verdigris itself is moderately toxic because of its copper content. So with all this suffering and death, is it light fast? Nope. Verdigris decays over time and can become dark brown or even black under the wrong circumstance, but the ancient Egyptians did use it, and verdigris was the primary green pigment on the headband of Queen Nefertiti's bust. Rome was very different from its surroundings in that while they colored everything, like literally everything, think wood, bone, metal, leather, and even ivory, they really didn't use greens much until the imperial era except when it came to glassware or pottery. For them, green was a barbarian color. But eventually, green did become more fashionable, and of course the Romans did use verdigris very liberally. And we even have Pliny's recipe for making verdigris that I mentioned earlier. In the Middle Ages, verdigris was incredibly popular, even though it was known to darken and degrade. Until the 19th century, it was the most vivid green available. And even here, lead peaks its toxic head around the corner because artists often mixed verdigris with lead white or lead tin yellow because verdigris was, like I said, transparent. So the toxicity and the death and destruction all stays there throughout history. Verdigris becomes more stable when it is suspended in oil. And artists used to seal the oil paint with verdigris with varnish. And they thought that that kept it as bright and as verdant as possible and it would stop it from degrading. Was this always successful? Not necessarily, but Jan von Eyck used verdigris in the Arnolfini portrait, and this painting, if you haven't seen it, shows a young couple, and the woman's dress is a beautiful bright bottle green, and he used verdigris on the dress to achieve these beautiful results. And since the color could change over time, von Eyck employed the whole sandwiching technique where he put layers of green with varnish on top to try and make sure that it wouldn't fucking change. And apparently it seems to have stood the test of time because we still have a beautiful bright green on her dress. Green glazes of verdigris were commonly used in oil paintings of the Renaissance too. And yeah, you can give me all the shit you want for how I pronounce Renaissance, but... It's vase, not vase, and renaissance, not renaissance. But back to the story. Artists used verdigris to create saturated green colors for drapery and foliage. 
And today, these glazes are often covered in a brown layer, and sometimes the whole glaze has become brown or even almost black. Verdigris was consistently mixed with the same pigments, lead white, lead tin yellow, and yellow ochre. Leonardo da Vinci was not a fan of verdigris in oil paintings, even though he did sometimes use it. He didn't like the fact that it fucking faded. He wrote in 1492 that, quote, the color green made of rust and copper. I don't know why I'm doing this voice. Green made of copper. Even when the color is mixed with oil, loses its beauty like smoke, if not quickly varnished. End quote. But it wasn't just in Europe that verdigris was used. It is now a faded, degraded hue, but verdigris was used in Jain manuscripts dating back from 1440 as well in India, medieval Arab manuscripts as well as mural paintings in China dating back to the Han Dynasty employ the use of verdigris. Verdigris was very popular in Indian miniature paintings, by the way, and one of my favorite pieces, The Princes of the House of Taimur, also uses verdigris. It's a gouache painting done on cotton and shows a feast in a garden pavilion. It's a landscape done in the Persian style, which was prevalent in the Mughal era, and it has a golden sky, trees, and figures in the background who are preparing food and bringing it over to serve the guests. The central figures seated in the pavilion are Humayun and facing him are Akbar, Jahangir, and Shah Jahan, and those two were later additions. So they're a bunch of princes, basically, and it's a lovely family gathering. But the greens? There's a good bit of verdigris in there, and the shitty thing is that it has degraded over time. It isn't as bright and verdant as it used to be, but it's one of the green pigments in the painting. So this toxic, fleeting, beautiful, bright green pigment was used everywhere. It's been identified in at least three of Vermeer's paintings. So whenever you walk around and see any work of art before the 19th century, there's a strong chance that verdigris was used in the greens, and that whatever you're looking at was probably much more bright back in the day. Whatever happened to verdigris, by the way? Do we still use it? Not really, because it got replaced by Viridian, which was developed and patented in France in 1859. Viridian is not just permanent, but it is also non-toxic. So it's a great substitute for verdigris. And think about it, we don't have to fucking kill ourselves with lead. So the next time you have a copper penny, or you are looking at a photo of the Statue of Liberty, we're still in a global pandemic, so I'm not encouraging you to go and view the Statue of Liberty in person. Just know that that bright, brilliant green on that penny or on the statue is what was collected, powdered, and then used by artists like Vermeer, Botticelli, and Da Vinci in their works of art. And that the faded greens we see now were probably much brighter and more like the greenish hue of that penny that you're holding. I hope you liked this week's episode and make sure to join me next week on Tuesday. Yay for consistency again for our next episode. Mark your calendar and I'll see you next week.